Hello, welcome to yet another episode after a long time away of Real Disagreement, the podcast where Amy and I make each other watch movies the other hasn't seen, and then we really disagree about them. Most of the time, yeah. Most of the time. I'm Rob. I'm Amy. And this week, I have to sing now. Yeah, now's the time? Science fiction. Ooh, double feature. That was way better than I thought it was going to be. It went off key at the end, though, but that's okay. I was pleasantly surprised. That was not bad. I would rather just play Rocky Horror Picture Show instead of sing for you, but... Um, I'm going to attribute Tell me you haven't seen it. No, I've seen it. Damn it. I've seen it. I was a theater nerd. Yeah. Everyone saw that. Um, I'm going to attribute your good job singing there, though, (laughs) to your extraordinary temperature comfort. Because what happened was... (laughs) Amy came in and said, oh, I'm so hot. And then she said, I'm going to take these. Amy's wearing sandals. Said, I'm so hot. I'm going to take off these sandals. That will help. To which I replied, you realize there's basically nothing to those shoes. She said, no, I'm hot wearing these because I put on lotion. Yeah. Because I put on lotion. Like a deep sea diver getting coated in Vaseline. I don't, yeah, I don't understand. It's, it's a reparative no. lotion. It's a reparative, uh-huh. And then the bottom of the shoes is all plastic. So, sure. Or, like foam. So it like absorbs. Sure. It's Why a, not? It's a thing. But now she's comfortable because she's not wearing those. She said, oh, I feel much better now. <laughs> that did the trick. It's 98 <laughs> degrees outside in April. It's like, very warm outside. I'm not debating yeah. that. I'm debating the effectiveness of sandal removal for overall body coolness. But um, it's also, it's relaxation, too. Because, uh, oh my God, I am forgetting his name. Bruce Willis and Die Hard. John oh, McClane. John McClane. Right? You oh, man. Take your it's shoes. It's a real shame you've seen that movie. But, I mean, we could just do an hour about why it's amazing. Oh, we totally could. I saw. I watched the end again just the other day. It's so good. So good. Anyway, <laughs> so today we have two science fiction, science fiction films. Ooh. Oh. I might have to rope you into that a few times. Uh, we have Fire in the Sky, and we have The Fly, which are alliterative and rhyming, and that gives me so much happiness. I'm very happy about that. We're going to start... Well, wait. Do you have oh, thoughts? Final thoughts on Hook. Do we need to go back to Hook? <laughs> it's been three weeks. It's been a while, but it's the gift that keeps on giving, and by gift, I mean torturous experience. Um. Nope. And we <laughs> never did our three favorite things, I realized. Oh, crap. When I re-listened to the episode. All right. It's because I am going to have a hard time coming up with them. And I did post on our Twitter um, Gail's haikus in response yes. to our episode. So she writes haikus that are responses to us. They're not about the movies. It's a real interesting riff she's on now. <laughs> it's fun. Um, but she said... Something about, you're wrong, but it's okay. I liked that she quoted, she was telling you, you were wrong. She's saying that I'm wrong. She's not just quoting me. She's saying that I'm wrong in my opinion of Hook. It was, no, I, that it's not the worst ever, but she definitely agreed it was overwrought. Okay, that's a start. Mm-hmm. I think it's not just overwrought, but it's overrotting, R-O-T. You're telling me and you rotten. really still believe that that's the worst movie ever made. No. Okay. Because Triumph of the Will exists. No. Yes. I mean, It yes. is not as bad as Nazi propaganda. <laughs> it is less terrible than that. Okay. Although Triumph of the Will is at least a technically competent movie. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's my thing. It's like it, your your response is so extreme. <laughs> well, it's yeah. not the worst ever. You know what people love in podcasts? <laughs> right down the middle of the road. <laughs> that's why people listen to podcasts. They're like, can I find something real milk toast and lukewarm to listen to? That's the podcast. That's I what want. America needs right now, though. We need milk toast middle kindness. No, we need lively debate between people who respect each other, even though they don't agree. Okay, I would agree with that, too. And that's what we deliver. All right. Yeah. And it just happens to be that Hook is among the worst <laughs> films ever made. And it's, it's, it's partly... here. Oh yeah, I'm going to change my answer I, a little I, bit. I, I, I know. That did not come out eloquently. <laughs> if you could somehow invent an algorithm or a scale where badness was measured by weight or something, and it was like badness like cost per pound given how expensive this movie is that it's so bad is embarrassing because you see something like say birdemic birdemic is eight million times worse than this movie but birdemic costs like 75 dollars to make what about Waterworld? like the water world is so much more watchable i've never never seen it it's not a great movie by any stretch. Yeah, but, but I know it's it like the go, most expensive. It's like the biggest. It, it was at one time. Yeah. I think it's been surpassed since then. But, you know, it's not a great movie. It's a Mad Max ripoff. And it has the burden of having Kevin Costner in it, who is just terrible. He's not good. He, why is he famous? I don't know. He's not that good looking. I There's a few movies he's in where he doesn't speak much. And all he does is just kind of smirk. Yeah. And I'm good with those. Because he's not terrible. You know, to look in the at, big chill, he's the dead guy. Is he really? Yeah. Oh, you they know cut what? all his scenes out, so I he's do, just dead. I, in the I, coffin. Do, I do think I knew that. That's his best performance. By um, far. Oh, that's not fair. But how's that not fair? Yeah, no, I know he's not good. He's not. Hmm. He's terrible. He did a pretty good accent though in that Cuba movie. The when he was. Oh, the like Kennedy administration. Yeah, he was JFK. No, he wasn't. No, he He wasn't. He was the advisor, but he had the weird Martha's Village. Martha's Village. (laughs) Martha's Um, Village. Yeah, (laughs) that's the one. Martha's Vineyard. Martha's Village is like a special needs facility somewhere. It's a a homeless shelter out here. There you go. Okay. (laughs) He was great in that. He really captured it. No, the Martha's Vineyard. Accent. He did a pretty, I don't remember. No. He did a pretty good job with that. I, ha- I was forced to go see that movie, which is like three hours long, because it had one of the Lord of the Rings trailers in front of it. I kind of want to go watch that movie now. I love political thrillers. It was pretty good. I remember I have to go being watch like, it. I mean, it was long. But but anyway, so, Hook. Okay, I'm going to come up with something I like. Kay. Ready? Okay. Um, How about we each just do two, since it was a joint. Okay, fair enough. Okay. Good. Um, Captain Hook's costume is great. Yes. And his wig is great. Does it? No, I'm counting that as one thing. Oh, okay. Um, and then my second cheating. thing is... <laughs> what? How do you feel about his earrings, Rob? Wow. <laughs> Does he have them in the movie? Um, I, there's Where's a lot... Where's he going with a piratey thing here? There's lots of me. pirate earrings, yeah. So Amy is making <laughs> reference to the fact that over spring break, I put back in the earrings that I have not worn since my sons were born, because they were going to pull them out. Yeah. Uh... Students keep asking me when I got my ears pierced, and my response is 25 years ago, in ninth grade. 
But they're like, oh, you just did it? I it? just, it's, you know, you reinserted it, it them. It looks like a midlife crisis. After watching the pirate movie. You, <laughs> One had nothing you to do also the made the decision to grow the hair out and the beard. But that we know that's more of a roadhouse. That's more, I just do. Wait a second. That was a roadhouse decision. You're implying here that my fashion choices are all tied into the movies just, we've been watching. I'm just saying, like, it's. You know. You know I often grow a beard or a mustache That's and shave true. it off. But it's 98 degrees outside. I often have longer hair. Yes. These are well-established things. The earrings, though, fair game. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I definitely look like I'm well in the midst of a midlife crisis right well, now. Well, and the lace cuffs that you have on at the edge of your shirt right now, <laughs> that's really... This is when it's unfortunate that podcasts are a purely <laughs> And the buckles on your boot, like, medium. they're just a little... That just is because I don't like tying laces. <laughs> It saves me time in the morning. I just buckle them fuckers up. All right. So you like so, the okay. costume. You like costume. this costume. And then, wow. They're really so little I like in the movie. Um, okay, you give me your two because I actually have to think of a second one. Okay. Um, I mean, since I like the movie, though I recognize its weaknesses, <laughs> and, and certainly watching it again as an adult, I, I saw, you're, you're right, it's a long movie. It's, it's really, so it's super long. It's way longer than it needs to be. I, for me, always was Bob Hoskins, and, and I know we talked about that, and he, mm-hmm. he doesn't spend enough time in the movie, but I do just love him. Um, Did I'm, we talk about why is he cleaning up at the end? Yeah. Okay, because I'm still bothered by it. I have no answers. <laughs> I loved Bob Hoskins as Smee. And then, you know, and maybe this is a cheat, but um, Robin Williams, like, I just, he was always so fun to watch. You know, like even in um, What Dreams May Come, which I really... It's a visually magnificent movie. It's amazing. I don't enjoy that movie um, Mm. at all. At all. Um, Because of the intensity of the experience or you don't feel it's a good movie? Because of the intensity of the experience and the themes and the like thoughts it makes me have. Okay. (laughs) So it's like, it's a painful movie to watch for me. But even in that, I really enjoyed him. Okay. So I just enjoy him and I miss him. I, I How much of an asshole do I want to sound like here? Yeah, because he's basically sainted at this point. Yeah, and it hasn't been long. I, I have nothing against Robin Williams, certainly as a human being, and I'm sad he's gone and I would never make light of anyone taking their life. So it's nothing like that. Let, let me rephrase. <clears throat> I suppose what I love about him was... I think Hook, almost to a fault, I suppose you would argue, is his, it's the most extreme version of his total lack of ever tamping down or controlling his silliness. He he, he was so silly, and I loved that. Boy, and I, see, I don't think he's nearly silly enough in it. I think he's on autopilot. Huh. I think it's very much this thing of like, well, he's Robin Williams, so he's already boyish. Just go be there, and being Robin Williams is enough. Hmm. I think it's really a lazy performance. I don't think he's very good in the movie. Hmm. And I, when Robin Williams was serious, I liked him a lot. Yeah, Death to Smoochie is when he's an insanely like, good movie. Robin Williams' stand-up comedy makes me want to punch myself in the face. Really? This just extended, long, cocaine-fueled riff of nonsense. Some of that. But, but he also, once he got clean, he did it inside the actor's studio where... I mean, he was a master at crowd work. 
Like, he took this woman's pashmina out of the audience. It's a pashmina. Like a shawl, a cashmere shawl. There's a thing, there's a piece of clothing called a pashmina. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I believe it's a transfer word from another language. Well, I, Don't really? be a bigot, Rob. The, the Puritans on the Mayflower weren't wearing pashminas? <laughs> How surprising. <laughs> I do say Malachi, where's your pashmina? <laughs> We need it for the corn husking. So. Um, That's my Mayflower Pilgrim impression. It was good. Thank you. Um, the <laughs> I feel like Kevin Costner could have done that accent. Oh, already. he's so good. <laughs> he's a real mimic, that Kevin Costner. Disappears into roles. No, I just, um, he's silly and I enjoy that. So. Yeah, the world could always use lightness and him being gone. That lightness is gone, and that's that's a shame. Yeah. But as a performer, he tend to be either extraordinary and amazing. When you look at uh, the Fisher King is oh my the God. thing that breaks my heart most that he's ever done, where he has that childlike kind of sweetness. It's so good. But it's got real gravity to it. Ugh. He's great in it. Did he get an award for that? Uh, nominated but didn't win. He got his award for Goodwill Hunting, I believe. Got it. Yeah, I got the Oscar for that. I'm 99% sure. Got it. Um, but his, like, silly stuff. <sighs> I like the silly stuff. Like, I love Mrs. Doubtfire. Did you see Popeye? Oh, yeah, a long time ago. I'm, you know, it would have been curious to pair up Popeye with Hook. They're both yeah. disasters. <laughs> yeah. And they're both movies that have tons of money thrown at them. And that's actually the second thing I'd say I like about Hook. The set, particularly of the pirate town, is amazing. It is good. That's pretty great. Because they just threw money at it. I don't know what to do with this movie. Spend more money. <laughs> Spielberg crying softly in his trailer. All right. So that's, right. A, that's, yeah, that's another it. 15 minutes yep, sorry. on Huck Weeknight. But <laughs> We've now put an hour and a half toward yes. that terrible goddamn movie. So, But I had another update I wanted to bring in. Oh. Your wife turned me on to a podcast. My wife. Um, that I listened to, and they were talking about um, like cursed movies, mm. right? So, um, Poltergeist is, of course, the big famous example. Sure. Like the little... another Spielberg film, ultimately. Poltergeist. Yeah, well, it's a Toby Hooper film, but it has come out in recent years that actually Spielberg, who was the producer, kind of secretly directed it because Hooper was not doing a great job. I like that movie. Like, oh. and I struggle with scary, but I like that movie. Yeah. Yeah, so the little girl died and other people died. A lot of people died in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but The Exorcist, apparently. And since we oh. talked about that, I thought I'd bring it in. Sure. The Exorcist, it's crazy. Like, every <laughs> actor's mother or aunt, yeah. like, they all lost a ton of people. A bunch of people got injured on the set. Wow. Ellen Burstyn broke her neck or her back. Or she messed what? up her back. Yeah. yeah. During a stunt sequence. But the craziest part is mm. the serial killer who's in the movie. Wait, what? Yeah. So How do I know about this? The, the MRI tech uh-huh. who was like, he worked there in that hospital that they were filming in, and he had some acting experience. And they're like, well, here, you know what it's supposed to look like, so why don't you just be in the movie? And he yeah. was like, sure, no problem. Later was, I think, arrested um, and tried, or he confessed. I'm not sure about that part. I don't remember. Six people he killed, and when he was in the movie, like, he had already done most, if not all of them. Holy shit. Yeah. That's amazing. That's a crazy story. That's unreal. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. 
Also related in the news right now, William Friedkin, director of The Exorcist, is making a documentary about a real-life exorcism. Uh, I guess it's going to be amazing. I don't know. He's still cranking them out. He's got to be yeah, over 70. but that like bums... He's still working like that crazy. That bums me out and actually is a nice tie-in to Fire in the yes, Sky. Yes, it is. Thank Bop you for the that. Beep, beep. The, um, that's your singing. Yep. The, I just, I'm a real big Cab Calloway fan. <laughs> I'm just going to scat my way through. The... Squidward bop. Oh my God. The like... <laughs> exploitation of people's experiences... Like, I don't think that's what Fire in the Sky but was. wait, are you saying that documentary is inherently exploitative of people's experiences? No, I think it can be. And I think if people resort... I had to study exorcism in my master's program, right? And what? Yeah. What? Well, we had to study it as, like, why do people choose that? And why do they resort to that, right? Okay. And, and because in, in, the, in the idea of you have to... In order to be... Um, a, a mo- more postmodern therapist mm-hmm. and a narrative therapist, you have to take into account everyone's stories and, and it's a very constructionist viewpoint, right? So you have okay. to take into account um, culture and um, you for somebody whose whole culture believes in demons, you can't, it's not fair to diagnose them as crazy when somebody sees demons, and wants an exorcism. But does that because mean that's that you our... legitimize that as a possible diagnosis? Doesn't that beg all kinds of wild spiritual questions of... I mean, I, I don't understand how that it means, have any It means that when you're dealing with that, uh-huh. that you have to... With possession? Yes. With okay. people who believe they are possessed. Uh-huh. And I think, no, I think in America and in most of America, in our Western setting... Um, we don't legitimize those thoughts a- at all. But the problem is, is that America is a is a country of immigrants, despite what some people would like. Um, the politics <laughs> alert. Sorry, um, America is a country of immigrants. So if you're bringing over people from the African continent, who their whole culture, their whole life has told them that demons exist, and then something's wrong with them, and perhaps in our language, it would be. Some form of schizophrenia. It seems or almost condescending, dis- though. No. Like, we're going to pretend If you let me you. finish my sorry, sentence, sorry. you would know where I was, was going with it. was a long sentence. Oh, my God. <laughs> no, it's, it's not like you go in and you're like, oh, you believe you're possessed. It's just being aware of and attentive to these are their beliefs. And so we want to maybe use the language of that as we try to treat them. Right. And, okay. and find a way to sort that. of ingratiate the treatment and, and also not ignore the local wisdom. Right. So not not to say that you participate in an exorcism, but if somebody believes that putting that smudging their house with sage is helpful. And I'm fairly certain you and I both know multiple people we do. Yes. Who practice it, who do this practice. And you and I both kind of think like, OK. Yeah. Um, no harm, no foul, whatever. Right? So... But is there a difference between, I think for lack of a you, better word, in, indulgement versus saying, I'm going to adopt this thing and go along with it, even though it's, it's pretending to a degree. I, if, if someone has a practice where I don't necessarily agree with it, I go, yeah, that's great. Go ahead. Do that. But I don't engage in it as... I don't pretend I'm into it. And I don't think... so. It's been a while since I was in my program and we studied this, but the the belief is not 
the practice is not do that. It's not try to pretend okay. that it's, but it's don't ignore the real force and effect that these beliefs have on okay, these people. Okay, so let's get back to the true story for film then. So, so with something like an exorcism, I, I if if a family is making that choice and resorting to that for a loved one or a right. person is doing it for themselves. They're doing it because they are tortured. Because because very much like the movie The Exorcist, something has gone wrong. And they've been to many, many doctors, maybe. I don't know. But something bad is happening. You don't but if ask... they're signing off, they're saying, please come and document this, then why not do so? And if you're presenting it in a way that's as respectful as possible, not like, look at these dummies, then why not? How's is it, that exploitative? I... I didn't say definitively that it was exploitative. I said that I worry because how do we know he's going to be as respectful as possible? And and also, well, are they strapped for cash and like put in a position well, where they had to pay sign someone off? for their rights in documentary? Okay, like ethically, that's not really how they work. It just makes. I'm sure there's exceptions. Don't get me wrong, it, but it it feels a little hinky to me with this particular thing because because mm. I think. It creates othering. No, oh, okay. And it and it can make outcasts of people in our society who perhaps more than anything need our inclusion. Hmm. I feel like this gets into a much bigger conversation that maybe would be good for another a podcast. Di- a completely different podcast. Or at least a different episode because the idea of othering. I, 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 I have many questions and no answers or wisdom for that. I, I yeah. mean it sincerely. If I wonder about the idea of of otherness and creating more of an otherness, but then again, is that better or worse than inclusion in yeah. a lot of ways when it means dissolving identities? You know, well, when you get into I, cultural appropriation where it's, yeah. if we're sincere about blending our cultures together, then maybe some degree of appropriation is okay. Yeah. But then where do we cut that off? And it doesn't matter who's practicing what one, is that exclusionary by its nature and i just feel like it there's all kinds of questions of that that i have no wisdom yeah to solve well and i totally agree with you and 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 i and i can be really honest and say that this is this is a fraught issue because exorcism it comes from a judeo-christian past yeah um as well as eastern practices as well in some forms but and like and so I'm okay. I'm not okay. I'm not okay with exorcism. I think people get hurt and it's dangerous and right. this and that. But I'm more willing to be kind towards people who feel so desperate that they want to do that. But then I just think if you're a Scientologist, like what the hell's the matter with you? And I'm totally fine with an exploitative <laughs> Weirdly in my school movie mailbox, or anything about Scientologists. In my school mailbox. Because I think that's predatory. I received a Scientologist magazine and I have no idea that's how. That's crazy talk. Somebody yeah. sent that to you. Evidently. As a joke. That's I funny. hope it was Tom Cruise, and he's recruiting me, and we're going to be friends. Cool. Just because I want to learn to be as tough and handsome as him when I'm getting close to 60. You have a love affair. Many. So. Fire in the sky. Fire in the sky. <laughs> um, okay, here's my haiku. Okay. Backwoods abduction. Suspect the T-1000. <laughs> Lives, loves, learns, loses. Probed. I like the T-1000 inclusion. Thank you. That would be my second Terminator 2 reference of the day. Yeah. Well. Skynet came up earlier. Of course it did. Yeah. Um, So Fire in the Sky is based on the heavy use of quotations here. True story 
of... It's based a, on a book called The Walton Experience. By Travis Walton. Yes, which says that it... Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. So Travis Walton <laughs> and his friends. In the movie, it's a total of six people. I guess in real life or in the book, it's a total of seven people. Uh, they're off doing a logging job. They're in Arizona. Yeah. A town called Snowflake, which in our political climate made it's me laugh funny. every time they said it. And I just... Here I, in Snowflake. And I, I like, always <laughs> forget. I always Take forget. that, you cucks. I always forget that there's parts of Arizona that look like that. Yeah, I was actually confused Like, by in my life. head, I just think Arizona's all desert, except yeah. that I know that that's not true, because I went to Flagstaff a couple years ago, and, like, all that area is majestic and forested and gorgeous and beautiful and not a desert and not sand. That's an amazing story. I hate you. <laughs> so... <laughs> so... You totally lured me into that. You're like, I agree. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh huh. <laughs> lured you. Wait a second. I lured you into it. Into like being vulnerable and talking about the majesty of Northern being Arizona. Being vulnerable. <laughs> Your vulnerable moment was I once went to Flagstaff. Holy shit! That was like a peek in your soul. You went to fucking Flagstaff? No shit. Amazing. Now I understand you. I hate. You. <laughs> All right. Anyway, back to this goddamn movie you made me watch. Oh, God. So, <laughs> um, in Snowflake, Arizona, these six or seven men are cutting down trees when, at the end of their workday, they see a glowing red light. They go towards said light to see what's going on. Is there a forest fire or they don't quite know what? One um, might say it was a fire in the sky. That's the titular line that was missing here. Um, No, they actually said it in the movie. Do they? Yeah. Like it matters. So, we. Okay. Go for it. Go for it. Go for it. um, They (laughs) see this fire in the sky. It turns out to be a glowing orb flying saucer. D.B. Sweeney making his second appearance in the podcast. So handsome. Not in this one so much. He looks... In the beginning. He looks like a weird, bloated version of Paul Rudd in this movie. He does kind of look like Paul Rudd. Yeah, bloated Paul Rudd. But in the beginning, when he's on the motorcycle, and it's like yeah, 70s yeah, okay, hair. Yeah, like, I'll go with that. That was all Later good in the movie, charming. Yeah, well, no, because he's been, you know, hurt. <laughs> That's one way to put it. <laughs> so, um, he approaches the ship. He gets thrown about. His friends abandon him. He disappears. Now... The movie you think is going to be all about him on the ship and having his alien experience. Instead, what the movie's telling me, and the movie's told in flashbacks. The organization of this movie is really weird. And in watching it, I wondered, okay, how would I structure this? And the flashback structure, in a way, makes a lot of sense. Because if you went straight, because eventually the movie shows what happens to him on the alien ship. But if you told the movie in sequence, everything would be anticlimactic. You would start with all his alien experiences, and then it'd be the, for lack of a better term, mystery that lingers for the rest of the story. But instead, the mystery is, okay, this guy's disappeared, Walton has disappeared, and his friends who have gone back in town are now suspects in his murder. And they're trying to figure out what really happened to the guy. They're insisting on their innocence. Marriages crumble. The town ostracizes them. And the movie feels like... It's also our second appearance of Kathleen Wilhoyt. Yeah, from Roadhouse. I like her. We're just really bringing in the character actors. She's in lots of stuff. Yeah, sure. Right now she's alone, so happy to be hearing her name on this podcast. Why am I being mean to her? She doesn't deserve it. No, and she's working currently. Right now? Yeah. What's she doing? 
stuff. Okay, great. Um, I have a theory about the flashback structure. Okay. Um, which ties into the bigger point I wanted to make about this movie, which is like, who gets to call something a true story? Which I think is a good question for the climate we're living in right now. It really um, is, actually. But I think it's told in flashback because to justify the based on a true story mm-hmm. um, tag at the beginning, mm-hmm. it has to be their memories, right? Yeah. So the it has to be, yeah. this is the telling of Travis's memories, or what he says are his memories, mm-hmm. and therefore that makes but it it's, a true story. it's not exactly. It's the telling of all of their memories. Yes, but but the, those flashback scenes of the being on the ship, I think. Right, eventually when yeah. we get to that. And I think that that's, I think that that's why they did it that way. Um, I mean, I really think it's because otherwise there's no climax in the movie. I, I think there's, both there's of them. There's almost no plot well, to Well, and there was... Um, it's a whole lot of filler so that we can get seven minutes of him on the ship. Yeah, um, when they first started, after he wrote the book, um, Paramount felt that his telling of the story was too fuzzy mm-hmm. um, and very... Yeah, I guess he had very little detail. Here's yeah. what they look like, and that's about it. Yeah, and it was way too similar to other um, televised stories of mm-hmm. abduction, um, and so they hired a screenwriter to create a flashier and more provocative version, which mm. that right there says to me you don't get to call it a true story. I, mm. I got to see... Um, a, a, a Burrow, oh, what's his name? Augustine Burroughs? Yeah. Yeah. I got to see Augustine Burroughs speak once. And it was right after... Um, Everything blew up in his face for a million little pieces? He didn't... Oh, write, no. That was, that was James Fry. That was James Fry. Sorry. Fry. But he was... It was... I saw... Because he did Running With Scissors was Burroughs. Yes. Okay, and I got sorry. to see... And if you haven't read those, just to clarify the connection there, they're both alcoholic memoirs. Memoirs about alcoholics and their alcohol. No, the memoirs themselves have real drinking problems. Yeah. No, but I, so, but I saw Augustine Burroughs talk after James Frey had gotten mm-hmm. busted for... Mm-hmm. Fabricating. Fabricating, yeah. Um, and, or exaggerating things and And, and people asked him about it, and I thought his explanation of his books mm-hmm. and his concept of true... of the difference between biography and memoir and why he calls his books memoirs Mm -hmm. um, was really interesting because he said the truth is the day-to-day business of our lives is boring. Mm -hmm. And so often we have to sort of condense consistent themes that happen in our lives. So, you know, he said, so for me in in my book, um, it's not Wolf at the Table, I forget which one it is, but in one of his books, Mm -hmm. it's, he writes all about his time in the fashion industry and there's the terrible, awful boss. And he said, really, that character was a conglomeration of five terrible, awful Mm. bosses I had in that business. Right. But didn't matter because they were all kind of the same. They were all sort of faceless. So I think Fire in the Sky is more fairly described as a memoir because it is the smooshing together of people's memories. It's more fairly described as a memoir if that's what the term memoir meant. I mean, Burroughs is changing this pretty dramatically of what it really is. How would you uh, define memoir? Memoir, is, it, biography is the span of someone's entire life. A memoir is a memoir moment. Memoir is a moment mm-hmm. in their life that is significant in some way. Now that moment can be a week, that moment can be 25 years. A memoir can be my time as a teacher the last eight years. A memoir can be Charlton Heston writing about being an actor. If he doesn't talk about his birth and he talks about all the rest of it, that's still memoir. Memoir is not necessarily a creative endeavor. So he's changed this term for his own purposes, which I'm okay with, but it's... I guess I just liked his 
explanation of it because that seemed to fit with me because Ellie Wiesel calls Night, his book Night, a memoir. Because it's about a small period in his life. It is, and I have also read interviews with him where he says something very similar to Burroughs of the one capo represented seven capos because they were all the same and they were faceless and nameless. Well, there's a, well, the difference there, though, is I don't think it's a matter of the terminology. It's a matter of asserting every word of this is true. Yeah. Because with Million Little Pieces, Fry was saying, people were like, this is so outrageous. He goes, right, can you believe it? And yet it's all true. I thought it was Frey. Like it matters. It does matter. When somebody, when your novel gets published, or the... God willing. <laughs> one day. I mean, are you going to want people to call you Robert? Uh, one, I would love if they call me Robert, because I'll sell more copies Or like Robert Beeman. Law students call me that these days. <sighs> I know, I don't like it. You're way too arrogant to accept people messing your name up. I'd be so happy they're talking about my book. I would accept <laughs> them calling me Robert Boogerman. I'd be fine with it. Done! That's your new name. Oh no! I've cursed myself. Hoisted by my own petard! Yeah. Um, but it's, uh, well, the idea of truth in, I'm going to come back to that. Let me okay. finish this movie I know, quick. I set us off. I always so, do that. So, you always do. That's your, that's your go-to move. That's uh, your special move. If you're a fighting character in a game, it's my you just start down, monologuing down to another thing. Yeah. <laughs> Finish him. And then you'd be like, let me tell you about constructivist therapy. <laughs> and then they'd just fall over dead. <laughs> That'd be it. Why do you find that you need to hit people all the time? <laughs> tell me about this. What story do you tell about that yourself? That reminds me of something I once read. constantly the aggressor. And then, you know, <laughs> Scorpion's like, no, no. Vulnerability's my weakness. He collapses. His heart falls out of his chest. That was officially the nerdiest 45 seconds of this podcast. Maybe of the world. Yeah, it was pretty rough. Um, but, so in the movie, uh, Robert Patrick, who played the T-1000, but looks pretty good in this movie. Like the little Van Dyke mustache and goatee thing. I've never thought he was a good looking man, but he looks all right. Kind of suits him. I was pretty into him in this movie. He looks pretty good. Um, he's the best friend of the missing guy. He becomes the prime suspect in some kind of conspiracy to... Conceal what really happened in the woods. But the movie becomes about the marriage and tribulations of the Robert Patrick character, whose name is Mike Rogers. And it's this kind of domestic thing that doesn't go anywhere. It feels real forced. The characters don't have any chemistry. It's kind of a mess. Eventually, what's his name? Travis Walton pops back up. He's, he calls Collect from the side of a road, and they go and pick him up. And then we finally get the flashback of his experience in the alien ship. And that sequence is pretty good. Yeah. It's pretty creepy. The puppets are real cool and they're probing him. And there's a sequence that's actually pretty horrifying in it. And if that, if the movie would have been that. Yeah. If, if, the, if the ratio would have been reversed. If it would have been 90% alien ship and 10% what's going on on Earth while he's away. I would say it was a great film. Instead, it's about 90 minutes of boredom and seven minutes of holy shit. Yeah. And I think that, um, so this isn't, when we started today, you said, I think we're going to disagree a lot. And I was like, meh. Because I said, I, I, I don't have super strong feelings about Fire in the Sky. And then you gave me the, what? then why did I watch it face? Yeah. Because this whole thing we're doing here is, 
movies I can't believe you haven't seen, right? So for me, because I was like crazy into X-Files, um, and this is like... This is going to be our nerdiest episode. This is some prime X-Files time right here, 1993. Yeah. Um, like Which I, it feels like it's cashing in on. They got a TV director who totally. I think did some X-Files episodes um, yeah. to make this. Uh, there wasn't anyone terribly notable in the production. The of most this. notable person by far is the director of photography, Bill Pope, mm-hmm. who's awesome. He shot the Matrix movies. He oh. made Evil Dead. He's like an amazing okay. guy. I didn't go down that far on the list. I just recognized his name. Yeah, he was right there in the credits. And I was like, "Oh, Bill Pope. This might be great." And then and it is shot. It's it's okay at best. Okay. It looks like it's made for TV. It did. It did have that feeling to it. Yeah. But I don't know if that's also just the story. But anyway, so I it's. To me, this was one that figured very prominently in my mind because it came at a very formative time for me, 1993. Mm-hmm. I'm super into X-Files. Um, you know, science fiction was something that my mom and I shared together. So it's... it's there we go. Yeah, there it is. It's real connected to that. Um and I think in my mind, when I thought about this movie, all I remembered was the abduction scene. Cause like, I Which think, is pretty good. I think the stuff at the end where he's freaking out when the honey hits him in the face. Yeah. It's like, like, and that triggering of his memories. All, that whole sequence was all really good and really scary. Pretty good. I kind of forgot how long it takes <laughs> so bad. to get there. It's, I mean, it's not terrible, but it's, it's slow. It's really... It's... it's and I, I've said this about other movies, and I, I was trying to not say it about this movie. Of I often say it doesn't know what it wants to be. This one, I think it knows what it wants to be, but it can't find a way to marry them together. Like, it, it's an interesting idea. It wants to be Science a Science fiction movie. next to <laughs> this, you know, what would really happen. Yeah. You know, and it's saying it's a true story, which clearly, come on. But... That's like, not fair. It's totally fair. You... Okay... Wait a second. I'm totally okay with like alienating. Are you saying you believe this is a true story? I'm okay with alienating Scientologists, but I don't want to turn away you people. You want to fuck off with our alien overlords? Yeah. When they hear this podcast, they're going to come after me? No, with our fans that maybe believe in aliens. Hey, it's okay with me if our fans believe things that aren't true. For instance, I know there are fans who agree with you every episode. Oh, God. They are people who are easily swayed to the wrong side of a discussion. Statistically, there has to be intelligent life out there. That is a statement I will agree with. Yeah. But the same logic of math means they would never be here. No, I know. Because it would be too far away. And I agree with that. Then what are we even (laughs) saying? I, that gets into all kinds of faith issues, too. Like, that gets into big stuff. So, I may or may not have visited a website that I probably shouldn't have visited on, a, a, great start. on a district server <laughs> that was, like, a blog post about what really happened, and it was, like, people from Snowflake. Like, it was... Oh, I thought this was going to be way worse. No, well, there was, like, some conspiracies, like... It was like I maybe went to a mildly dangerous Reddit thread. Uh, okay. But it wasn't Reddit. Um, All right. But Were you the, going on the dark web? Did you just buy meth? No. <sighs> Statistically, no. I don't think alien abductions happened. Yeah, definitely not. However. Oh. Oh, here it comes. <laughs> There's a great X-Files episode that I want to oh. say is called Jose Chung Outer Space. Jose Chung's Outer Space, where Uh they advance the theory, which is not their own theory, that the government did experiments on Americans 
and dressed up as aliens to convince so that we wouldn't report it. This is the craziest thing I've ever heard. You've never heard this theory? No. Oh, it's like a well, it's like a bit, it's like people. Oh, I'm sure there are communities where this is a big thing. (laughs) However, I hang out with sane people and not lunatics. I'm just saying that the White Mountains in Arizona are very close to some Air Force testing agencies. That's all I'm going to say. This is absurd. I cannot believe you. Okay, I can't believe you brought this up. I cannot believe you posited this as the like, a, here's I something to consider. I That's can't not a thing even to consider. look at you. I'm blushing because I know how much you... Because of how profound the humiliation is in this moment. How little you are thinking of me right now. Like, no, I'm, I'm more... I think as much of you as ever, I'm more impressed that someone had such amazing persuasive powers to convince my very sane very smart friend amy of this batshit stupid idea but you you don't (laughs) you don't think human beings have mistaken experimental aircraft for for aliens sure Uh, how in the world is that the same as dressing up as an alien to mess with people well that is the biggest leap in the world (laughs) there's a plane or a ship that i don't understand oh my god maybe that's an alien ship from that to let's dress as aliens and <laughs> fuck with people. The X Files makes a real good case. Oh, that documentary, The X Files? And Alex Trebek is in that episode. Oh my god, well now I'm convinced. <laughs> he knows everything. He must know everything. <laughs> He's out reading off cue cards. I hate him. He's so fucking smug. You know who's the worst is Pat Sajak. Why? His politics will make your head fall off your shoulders. I he is a vile human being. How smug Alex Trebek is. I feel like that's kind of part of his thing, though. Because he's Canadian? <laughs> no, Canadians are nice, right? Yeah, that's the cliche. Right. Well, but he's Quebecois. Ooh. Yeah. He doesn't have an accent. No. I think he came over soon. I could be totally wrong. He doesn't wrong, really relish saying is... things in French on the show. Yes, he does. Oh, my famous French impression coming out of your mouth. That's weird. Um, All right. So the movie... We're at 40 minutes. You know what? It's a bonus episode. So I just feel like we can move on. Neither of us really liked it. <laughs> no, but there okay, here's what I'm gonna end it with though. Okay. Three favorite things. Okay, I'll do three three favorite things and then I'll go into this. Because it's a topic that's interesting for both of us, I think. Okay. And goes into what you were saying prior, but it will transition nicely into the fly, which is why I want to do the fly second. Okay. When when Amy and I were deciding how to organize it, by organize I mean who goes first. Um even though Fire in the Sky chronologically is after the fly, I felt like there is an interesting transition between the two ideas, which I'm going to get at despite... I'm going to set up a little bit, and then you will do your thing. I okay. promise. Uh, three favorite things. They are all about being on the ship, and they're all kind of really fine details. Because it, it's not that the rest of it's bad, it's just that the rest of it is so kind of, eh, that not a lot stands out for me. Um, it is interesting seeing a bunch of young actors in early roles. Peter Berg, who's gone on to become a big blockbuster director. So yeah, he's in it. Uh, Craig Schaefer, Schaefer, he's in it in Brownface, which is a real uncomfortable thing in the movie. Yeah. Um, Robert Patrick, D.B. Sweeney, like, cast is good. Henry Thomas, they're good. I think the stuff on the was, ship is great. I think that was Henry Thomas's like, first... Grown-up role. Grown-up, yeah. Because he was only doing movies involving aliens for a while. Between yeah. this and E.T., yeah, um, that's all he knows. The stuff on the ship of him being, for lack of a better word, tortured as yeah. he's exam, uh, examined, and the like blanket thing that then shrinks Ugh. down on him, 
That was scary as shit. Nightmare. That was actually scary. Nightmare. And the stuff yeah. going in his eye Ugh. made me profoundly uncomfortable. Yeah. So I'm going to go with that. That's kind of two things. Actually, actually, maybe one thing. Yeah. But like the details in that were good. So I'm going to stick with that for my I liked friend. in that the big, the long hallway that they were dragging oh, him down. Oh, I hated it. How, like three oh, quarters of that scene is dragging him down a hallway. Well, yeah, it was a little too long. But, but I liked that there was like stuff, like clearly they had been doing these abductions for, like that was what it was Ooh, suggesting. the scary like half man that you see for a second. Oh, I know. I just remember seeing like a pair of like wire rim glasses from the fifties, yeah, and yeah, that was neat. Like, children's the, toys. The ship stuff is worth seeing. Yeah. Here's what would I recommend it to your mother? Would I recommend this to Gail? I would only recommend those seven minutes. <laughs> yeah. The rest of it can all be skipped. Like, don't watch any other. Someone should do a cut of this. It'd be a ten minute movie, but of them finding the ship and him getting thrashed around, and then cut to being on the ship. That'd be a great short film. Yeah. The rest of it can all get thrown away. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Did you want to name a favorite thing on here? Me? No. That's not how we do it. I know, but just in case. So here's my transition over. I am firmly of the belief that true stories are always less satisfying than fictional stories. Because here's the thing. With any fictional story, I know for a fact that I have all the pertinent information. If it's pertinent, the author, the writer has put it in. If it's a true story, the odds of me missing the pertinent information are enormous. There's some factor that I don't know that matters. With a fictional story, in a way, I'm getting more truth than I would from the facts. With any novel you can think of, whatever else. You feel that way with novels. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's why novels get at bigger truths than true stories do. You can actually build to an arc. Because you're constructing the truth. Exactly. And so you actually get an unfiltered, this is what the truth of it is. And if you, my favorite novel of all time is The World According to Garp. Man's entire life, every single important thing that happens in his life, I read. I know they're all the most important things because that's how Irving has constructed it. If I see a movie about someone's whole life, there's things I don't know that happened to them that are probably even more important than the things I'm seeing. And I always feel like I'm missing out, like it's not going to quite make sense. So when I want to see something about relationship, about a person, whatever else, I always feel like I get more from the fiction because it is designed for me to get anything, to get everything out of it. And that's when I take it into the fly, which I feel, and you're not going to agree with me, has one of the best love stories ever seen in a film. Wait, before we get to how you're wrong mm. about that, um, <laughs> I want to respond to your claim. So I'm talking to myself when you say things like that. Because the... I think this is an interesting idea that I've never thought about. Um... I knew you'd like it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it kind of plays to that, like, old, the the sort of standard joke about English teachers. There's, like, the memes on the internet about the guy that wrote to authors to ask if oh, right. the symbols. If the symbolism's really there. Yeah, and, and they're like, like, no, it's just a red hat. This is hard for me, because I, I really enjoy nonfiction, and in particular, I really enjoy John Krakauer. And I think John yeah. Krakauer... And and I would say of his books, his most famous is my least favorite. Um, What would you say is his most famous? Into the Wild. Okay. Um, Which is amazing. It's right. It's very anti nonfiction. No, I know. I but but the thing that I think what I love about Krakauer Mm -hmm. is that and and maybe this is because he started as um, a travel writer. So Mm -hmm. there's a level of. Here's an interesting thing of like Bill Bryson starting as a travel writer, delivering good nonfiction. Anyway, I. Well, because I think as a travel writer, you have to sell, 
you're being employed to sell a place in a lot of cases. So I think that when he writes his nonfiction, I think he's selling it a little Mm -hmm. bit. And so I think he's able to do what you're saying that fiction does more consistently and better. Um, I'm not, you, hmm, you speak in absolutes often. No, I don't. (laughs) I never do that. And as we have (laughs) um, established, I don't. I am not. You're the queen of the hedge. I am. Um, Hedge queen? I don't know. That sounds weird for some reason. Um, Does it? I like yes, queen. Um, Of course. (laughs) Um... I am not okay with absolutes because I think I think you're right. I think sometimes, oftentimes, bi- biographies have so much information that's unnecessary. And I think when you're creating a work of art mm-hmm. as opposed to a retelling of straight facts, mm-hmm. I think you can craft those bigger truths and say things that maybe you couldn't say if you were dealing with somebody's life that you were trying to represent fairly. However, I am not willing to say that nonfiction can't do that as well. I think it's... Though I think with movies, I, I, I think the effect fiction of is often always better than nonfiction. I think the effect of nonfiction can be as strong. Yeah. But I think it is impossible to definitively say with any nonfiction that you're getting all the pertinent information. I just don't think it's possible because the author cannot possibly have all the information at their fingertips. But... Ugh, but with fiction, oh, you're going to hate me for saying this. This is a great start. <laughs> with fiction, you can't really say that you're getting all the information. You absolutely no, can't. No, because if you like go into the multiverse of the characters. The who, multiverse of me. characters. Listen to me. This is such a nerd episode. <laughs> God damn it. Like, if you take your characters and you... Which I like to do. I like to um, extrapolate and, like, imagine what happens... But that's... No, that's like shipping and fan fiction bullshit. Or think about motivations. You don't always know motivations of a character. The author does, and they've presented it Mm. as they wanted to. It's the author's creation. Yeah. I'm... I... uh, You are... I agree with you 92%. That's pretty good for us. Yeah. I just—I need room for my hedge. But it's—I think that there's a. What's that Robert Frost poem? What what make the good neighbors? What yeah, make, what, uh, what f- loves fences a, make good neighbors? What but also loves hedges, a wall? Evidently, what loves a wall? Something like that. Something is that loves a wall. I don't know. Our colleague loves that poem. Yeah, um, I can't recall. I I try to avoid frost to be honest. Um, it hurts when it's on your fingers. Oh. God damn it! <laughs> so I, I think this idea of. Because fans take possession of creative works. You know, the new Star Wars movie would be a good example of it. Yeah. The fans took possession of the movie. Yeah. The the Last Jedi is not what I wanted The Last Jedi to be, therefore it is now bad. Right? But it's exactly the movie Ryan Johnson wanted to make, and he's the creator of the movie. I loved it. I know you I need to see it again. Yeah. I'm a little lukewarm on it, and I love Ryan Johnson, so it hurts me to say that. There were like three moments that I would have really liked to have removed, but... I wish the movie was twice as long. I feel like they cut out all the important stuff and all the connective tissue. And if you felt very sudden. If you'll recall, I hated Kylo Ren when I first saw him. Yes, I'm into it. Like, was it the shirtless scene? No, I'm Mm. into him as a character and an idea. Like, yeah, I was into Kylo all along. I wasn't. I couldn't because I couldn't get past Adam Driver. And I love Adam Driver. But I'm I. 
I'm I'm into it. It's good. I don't drive her. You drive her. You brought her. This, my frost joke was so much better. All right, so the neither flag. were good. Let's hear your haiku. My haiku. Uh, genius makes machine teleports himself with fly. They fuse. Guts go boom. Pretty good. <laughs> pretty accurate. It's, you might need, not need to say anything else. That's pretty accurate. Uh, well, because like the. With the exception of the last four minutes of this movie, the most disturbing stuff in there is the sad baboon that gets turned inside out. Ooh, that's the most... Okay. Well, it grosses. Gross, I don't agree with that either, but continue on. And I just wanted to know where he kept getting all the baboons from. Baboons are us. It's an outlet. Did you hear? He's only got two baboons. They went bankrupt. They just closed. Oh, no. You mean Jeffrey the baboon, their mascot, won't be around in those ads anymore? Yeah. Turn that front upside down. Um, that baboons are us. So, uh, The Fly is 1986, mm-hmm. uh, directed by David, Cron- David whoop, Cron- whoop. Cronenberg. My man. In my like top three directors. I love Cronenberg. Um, yeah, whoop, whoop. When I was doing my research about this, he was supposed to have directed Total Recall. Which would have been a great film. Yeah, that kind of super bums me out. I mean, I love Total Recall, but sure. it bums me out that he... Because I feel like it could have been even better. We might have to do an episode on Total Recall. Oh my god, I love Total Recall. I would love that movie 8 million times more if it had someone more like Danny DeVito in the lead role. Or like a Paul Giamatti. They need to remake that movie with Paul Giamatti. Okay, that's a little better. I feel like he can do serious a little better than Danny DeVito. But you need someone who isn't at all an action hero, so you're really not sure if they're doing it or not. You see Schwarzenegger, you're like, well, of course he's really quick. This is the episode where we talk about anything Just but, nerd stuff. But our movie. All right, The Fly. Sorry, continue. Okay. Um, I thought it was interesting. It was produced by Mel Brooks. Yeah, great producer. Though not listed. He made The Elephant Man, too. It, Yeah, I mean, I did really kind of sum it up in the haiku. Um, we have really Seth Brundle, and he creates teleportation with these pod things. Um, and he... Not Tide Pods, we should establish. Yeah, and you can't eat these. They're too big. Um, <laughs> the, apparently, you confuse with them, though. Yeah, yeah. Um, and... Yeah, it's you got a pod, you teleport from one pod to the next. And um, he meets, I've completely forgotten. Ronnie. Ronnie, thank you. He meets Ronnie, um, Gina Davis, and um, the like ultimate 80s love couple of Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis. Real life couple. Yeah. Um, She's a science writer and Mm -hmm. she wants to get the story, and then they have feelings for each other. They fall deeply in love. It's a love story. do not agree with that. That you're wrong, but that's okay. So they have sex real quickly, and the movie chooses not not to show me the development of their romantic feelings for each other. But we'll get... That is... Oh, my God. So, um, and then in their lovemaking, he manages to slam himself on a microchip, and it gets in his shoulder, and that cuts him. I actually thought that was really clever. Um, Super clever. yeah, Yeah, that the... Oh, are you... Being sarcastic? No, it's okay. totally serious. Yeah, and it foreshadows the ending. Yeah, that the microchip cuts him open, and then a fly flies into the. He gets mad yes, and jealous. Things, yeah. Okay, he goes into a jealous rage because he thinks she's weeks later. Weeks later, um, oh, after she's later. having sex with him to get a story. Um, and the. <laughs> That is absurd. <laughs> he goes into a jealous rage because he thinks she's sleeping with her boss. Um, who's also her ex. Who's also her ex. And because maybe he knows that she's somebody who... Oh, my God. ...trades sex for no. something. Okay. So, um, 
then a fly he goes drunk into the teleporter and this is the problem yeah because he's like not making i mean i don't know he's how not he, being careful he's not being careful but also like how would you check for a fly that flies in point. at the last minute like That's it's just point. kind of a bad shake um so the fly gets in there and because his skin is open um the dna gets in through the cut that's curious i never made that connection i just assumed it just mixed them not because of his skin being cut i i think it would have mixed them anyway, but I feel it. I wrote it down, so I feel like there was something in the movie that said that to me, that it was huh. the cut on his I've skin. I've seen it many times, and I've never made that connection. That's not to say you're wrong by any stretch. Yeah. I think it's a really interesting interpretation. I'm into it, but yeah. I'm, I'm wondering where that came from. It probably from. would have happened no matter what. Anyway, so anyway, Fly gets in there and creates Brundle Fly, which I enjoy that. Um, yeah. Because it makes me think of... It's um, a wonderful poor manteau. Der Fledermouse, like, which is oh, super nice. fun to say. Um, I you say that because it's a very operatic film, I feel. I would agree with that. Oh, my yeah. God. That's one of my top three things. The music is bonkers good. It's, it's terrific. so good. It's a okay, very... I say bonkers film. too much. Um, our super fans out there, yeah. I won't call you by your real name, but um, we'll just call you Stana. Um, Stana? She'll know. Okay. Um, yeah, just start counting how many times I say bonkers. I do too. So. Um, no, but yeah, Howard Shore's score is Lovely. amazing. It's so good, and it and it made me have emotions that I didn't feel were justified. <laughs> yeah, okay. But also, it was like super scary and really exciting. It's a really good score. Um, and I think it's appropriate. I don't think it's one where it's, you know, talking about John Williams with Hook, where it's, all the music's doing no, all the work. Yeah. I think it's really carefully placed. Yeah. And it's no, great. it was really good. Um, it did it did what you need in a scary movie, which is to yeah. um, to augment. Yeah, and to create the ten- tension and anxiety. Yeah. Um, so he starts to turn in. Okay, so here's where I got a little lost. Okay. Okay. The very <laughs> the very uh-huh. first sign of him changing. Yes. Is that he becomes very strong. The first sign of the hair is coming out of his Oh, yeah. Cut. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Ugh. Ugh. Which, yeah. like, ugh. Because he's getting insect-like hairs. Because yeah. the cut from the computer chip has it so that he's healing and the fly is prematurely coming out of him. It's gross. And it's these very sensitive hairs that she tries to cut them off. And, and he, coarse. Coarse. And yeah. she says, you have these coarse hairs back there. And he's like, that's part of getting old. I'm an old man. That's yeah. the compensation he's, for getting old. He's got some great one-liners. He's very charming. He has some great one-liners. He's very charming. Um, so, okay, the second sign of his uh, change is his strength. Strength. Which, his vigor. So are flies known for their strength? Well, like, if this was an ant, I would be into it. Insects in general are quite strong relative to their size. But, but there's also the idea that flies are very energetic because of the briefness of their lifespan. They're, they're twitchy and they're fast and they have a lot of kind of tiny power to and that and that was conveyed <laughs> tiny power <laughs> i feel like that's like that's a, a, that's a t-shirt for a baby yeah or like the title of a porn movie um that not one many people will enjoy it's a real particular it's, niche it's really yeah it's a specific a title market i just kind of struggled with that because fly out of all insects <laughs> i think like it doesn't lift anything like ants carry things and spiders carry things flies Land on stuff and barf and then suck it up. It's based on a short story. That bothered me. And the short story is about a fly. Like, I don't know what you're going to do with that idea. I'm just saying. Okay. So, and then, but then he starts to have, like, fly-like characteristics. He can, like, stick to the wall and stuff. Um, And he starts to change. And then she, so I had to watch this in three different chunks. 
which sucks. And I wish that that hadn't been the way I had Did to... Did you have to watch it in chunks because of time availability or because of freak outness? Time availability. Okay. Um, and I'm not going to lie because the last chunk was watched with um, a couple of glasses of wine, which was a huge mistake because yes. then I just wanted to vomit all night long. You did send me some awesome texts about, <laughs> I'm going to throw up, and then I just threw up. In my mouth. Yeah, in my mouth. Yeah. yeah. Well, in your mouth, not in my mouth. Oh, yeah, that'd be super weird. But, yeah. but That's another niche film. With Brendelfly. <laughs> so um, Ronnie gives up on him because he's changing and he's getting super aggressive. And mm-hmm. there's like a weird part where he goes out and gets maybe a prostitute. I a don't floozy. know. Yeah. A bar um, floozy. With like some sweet shoulder pads in her denim jacket. That's the only moment in the movie that dates it for me. Totally. The only one, which is an amazing statement for a movie made in the 80s. The um, effects are flawless. Gina Davis's like giant sweater dresses. She's so lovely. Oh, I love Gina Davis. Holy smokes. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, she's kind of perfect. Um, she, there's a couple movies where I see her and I think she was the most beautiful woman of her time. Yeah. This and Tootsie might be the other one. Although she's the second most beautiful woman in Tootsie, so. I have a secret. You have not seen Tootsie? Yeah. You've got to be shitting me. I think it's on the list. I've admitted this already. I just, I'd forgotten. Like, I've seen parts. It's a movie that has aged oddly in the Me Too movement. Got it. Yeah. Ooh, but we could do, like, Tootsie and um, 9 to 5. Oh, oh, this is a good idea. Do like a sweet pairing right there. Just Not next week, because we already got next week figured out, but it's coming up. Reason to down. rewatch 9 to 5. Right. That's the um, pen clicking, so I can write this down. So Ronnie leaves. She gives up on Don gives up, but she leaves because he's dangerous at this mm-hmm. point. Like he's, and, so, and he goes and he gets this woman, and they have kind of forceful sex. Consensual. Um, it's weird and like, yeah, I don't know. Um, and then he... But he says you have to go through, and that's the thing, is that he wanted... Um, he doesn't know yet he's mixing with a fly. He thinks he is becoming... Um, he believes he's becoming superhuman, and he yeah. needs a sex partner who will be as... Vi- His partner in all of this, who's yeah, as great and he powerful needs, as he Yeah, is he needs a bride of Frankenstein. And he um, thinks it's from going through the, tran- the teleporter, that it has clarified and filtered him of his impurities. Yes. Um, and then he figures it out. Mm-hmm. Um, that things are going to be bad. And that was the only point for me. Like, I was actually really impressed with the computer and the way that the technology was represented. Because yeah, I was like, well. hey, that's not terribly dated. You know, yeah. like... Because okay. I think sometimes when you look back at... Um, when you look back at... Um, 80s or even 90s depictions or of computers. 60s or 70s. Yeah. Any, any sort of... It's from the past, and they're depicting the 2000s once in 2012. And Your future announcer voice is spot on. Yeah, it's right up there with like, hey, would you like to buy a paper? It's that guy. <laughs> it's um, really good. <laughs> it, like, the fashions, the science, the technology, it all seems so dated, even though it's supposed in to be... In those a, other films. Yeah, even yeah. though it's supposed to be future. The Fly, I didn't think, had that at all, and no. I was very impressed with... The vision, I would say, I guess, yeah. of Cronenberg, yeah. who like just getting that really the future and technology, the future of technology is simplicity, yeah, um, streamlined, yeah. The only point where I went, oh, that's a little misstep, but it served a storytelling process was when Seth starts to figure it out and he starts asking the computer questions, yeah. And I'm about to say this, recognizing that Siri exists, but the process of ask- asking the computer questions and getting back. 
useful answers yeah. seemed, I was like, that's... Premature, maybe, in some way. Yeah, and a, and a little silly, but but it served a purpose. Right, and it's because um, he's alone for a lot of it, and you have to have some way to have interaction yes. and dialogue. Yeah, it's a device. Yeah. Um, but also, when the computer said, uh, the computer says, secondary element is not Brundle. I just don't feel like that is the analysis that a computer would put out. <laughs> oh, my God. I can't believe that's your sticking point. Like, I'm All not right. saying it's my... Okay. St- I'm, like, that is literally what you're saying. It's not the sticking point. It's a thing. Okay. Um, it's a good movie. So my job is to disagree with you. You're right. And you're we right. haven't hit the big disagreement yet, so I'm going into the little things. I Ooh, suppose. let's just cut to the big disagreement. Okay. Let's go to it. Okay. Well, here, we got to finish our synopsis real quick. I'm going to finish the synopsis so you can yell at me, okay? Okay, and also before we go to the big disagreement, can we just spend a minute on how Stathis is the creepiest, grossest human being that's ever existed? So the ex-boyfriend, Stathis Bourne, which is a great name, is a creepo. Yeah. And is an anti-hero in the movie in a lot of weird ways. Well, and he asks her, do I have permission to claim your body when this is all over? What the fuck is that? Was that like a well, he's weird... He's supposed to be a creep. Necrophiliac? Come on. Like, it was super weird. He's weird, and he's gross. But and then his to... hand gets melted off, and I was super okay with that. And his foot. Yeah. Go uh, for so it, Gimpy, mo- you so asshole. Brundlefly continues to... <laughs> Brundle con- continues to go into fly. And becomes more and more disfigured. Until finally, there is very little of him left. And in a big confrontation scene well you say the ending I shouldn't be able to say the ending well maybe we shouldn't say it It is a huge spoiler should we spoil it yeah I wonder if maybe we shouldn't it's a movie that I really feel the ending should be experienced okay so then let's not spoil let's not spoil the ending it builds to a very big climactic moment yeah with with some amazing acting by Gina Davis she is unbelievable she's in that so scene. good at scream crying holy smokes is she great <laughs> she's so good it is great the effects are extraordinary and it's I need to be careful not to say too much because I love this movie and I have watched it dozens of times I've read everything about it Cronenberg's one of my all time favorite directors I could talk for four hours about this movie without taking a breath we're almost there <laughs> <laughs> so I want to hear though what's your big problem with the movie okay well, this is your fault. It's a great start. <laughs> I say that way too much, but you no, just always build it up so big but for But just me. in this episode, like you've said it four times today, and well, I don't remember you saying it before. It's your, I definitely It's have. your word du jour. Ooh. Um, are you Québécois? You, what? That was like a weird mixture of... That was Québécois. Québécois? Yeah. You said oh, I forgot. Québé- you were in France for a while. You said Québécois. Like, it's like a weird mixture uh, of yeah, Swedish. Yeah, those were the big dolls <laughs> in the 80s. <laughs> the uh, Québécois patch kids. <laughs> That's actually sort of close, because schwa, shoe, it means lettuce. It's good. Yeah. Good job. Yeah, mon petit shoe. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. This is your fault, because had I <laughs> just watched it... Mm-hmm. It would have been a really good science fiction movie. Okay. That's not what happened. I know what you're going to say. Keep going. You told me this is, and I quote, possibly the greatest love story ever told. I'm sticking with this. End quote. I'm solid on it. Holy shit, this movie is so rapey. No. Uh, yeah. What is okay. rapey in this movie? Okay. Well, it's hard. All right. All right. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> Take uh. that out. 
See, the beauty of being the editor is that I take out all the parts. This way you should keep in this moment, though. Where I sound awful. Let them see the man behind the curtain. And my jokes don't land. <laughs> and I just leave all your bad jokes in. Um, so there's not much to cut, then. So that's what she said. <laughs> he said. <laughs> the moil? The moil, yeah. what the moil said? Yeah. I want to uh, make that a thing. Olive moil. It's my favorite Popeye character. <laughs> Terrible. Um, okay. Mama told me there'd be days like bris. Oh, God. So. <laughs> it's all going to stay now. It's all too wrapped up. This is rapey. because Okay, before I talk about why it's rapey. Yeah. I did not feel like the development. The movie starts with them face to face, and he's going, hey, I've created the most amazing scientific thing in the world. You should come back to my lab and look at it. Why would you go with him? That's like the dude who says, come back to my house and check out my placemat collection. They're like, at a, like, whatever. thing. He's still so creepy. He's not some stranger in the street. He kind of was. I mean, not a stranger in the street. They're but at, like, was- an event. I know they're at an event and an event, but like you go to events, do you go home with people? Like I'm never invited. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not married. That's like it. I just that struck me as weird, but okay, fine. She's a hungry journalist and she wants to go get her story, right? Okay. Um and so she goes and then I did not feel like the romance I don't feel like the story showed the romance developing. It was very sudden and Truthfully, because it happened so quickly, because she had been established to be a very hungry reporter, e- even with her recording him without his knowledge or consent, mm-hmm. and then she's sleeping with him, and then post sleeping with him is like, gotta go to the office. It felt real like she was using him to get So a we're s- saying rapey, and she's the aggressor? No. The rapey parts what? Of, the rapey parts at the end. But but you okay. have you have to have this beginning part where I don't feel that a relationship was established between them very well, and the and the way that he's played he's played as this loner like he has this great one liner about I don't what is it he says I'm not much of a bather like when he's starting to that's a great joke oh it's good I yeah, wrote yeah. that down too because it made me laugh so much it's such a good joke yeah when he's starting to deteriorate you're changing you look bad you smell bad I've never been much of a bather yeah. That was a great line, right? But also prior to that, it's established that like he's a loner and he He's an odd duck. He's an odd duck and he doesn't interact with people. He made it very clear that the way he's been able to create this thing is he essentially has like sleeper cells of part suppliers who no sleeper cells makes it sound a little weird, but not sleeper cell, but cell different He employs people in a satellite manner to make components for his device. Correct. And then he assembles them all together so nobody which is scientifically wonderful and genius because then nobody knows what you're doing. And it's how lots of there's not, you know, Bruce Wayne does not exist making Batmobiles from nothing. And he Lives in his lab. So, like, he's a loner. He's a weirdo with, like, extraordinary genius. Well, we've seen where that has led in the past. So, just, like, <laughs> Wait, side note. Where has that led in the past? Like, mad scientist weirdos who don't know how to interact with people, and then they do terrible things. Like, it's... It happens. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm just saying. Right. He doesn't... He's a loner who doesn't know how to interact with people. Right? And He's then, an eccentric who is charming and odd. Are you disagreeing that he's a loner? Mm, I guess not. Okay. Okay. And and isn't human interaction something that you need to practice? 
I think there are people who are charming and endearing. I, I guess I'm... The, his, charm come, his charm comes from him being a weirdo. In his the, charm comes from his natural... This is where the casting of the movie saves it in a lot of ways. And the eccentricity. And, like, of course you like it. You're an eccentric. Uh, and I'm married to a wonderful person who finds me charming. But I don't think you tricked her. Like, it didn't... I don't think he, he tricked her either. I think... I just feel like the story... I'm willing to accept that they were in love because later there was some tenderness there. And However, that's the thing. But this, It's an immediate attraction they have to each other. The setup... They made, respect each other. Made me... I think she respects him a lot. I also think she saw a cash cow. She was super quick to bone him and then talk about, let's do a book. People bone on first dates. Totally. I know that. I just think... Oh, do tell. (laughs) I just, (gasps) she goes from, she goes from, it was a very quick leap from meeting and I have this thing that's going to change the world to let's do it on your fold-out couch to I got to go to the office and write a story. Nobody believes me. Mm, Let's make a book. Like, it's very quick. And so it feels like it's all a commoditization of the relationship. Later, yes, there's mutual respect for sure. There is tenderness. There's also Ronnie just being like human and being kind and empathetic and and a nice, wonderful person, which when she sees somebody... If he was just a cash cow, though, she would have abandoned him at those points. Except that she's made a connection with him. And that's... So how is that... I just think love. Even if I, I go with your initial love premise. story, and even then, if I go with your initial premise of this is all too fast and she's using him at the start, I the facts of what you're saying of it's all very fast. I agree, that's true, but that they develop that relationship, even if it started from a more cynical place, that they have that real relationship and that they are concerned for one another, and then watching it turn ugly as he changes. There's all kinds of metaphors in place here. People have said it's it's a movie about AIDS. Yeah, I read I that. I don't think it is. Cronenberg said it's not. Cronenberg I think it said is it's about a movie about disease. Disease, addiction, change, zealotry. I think those things are all really available in it, and how it destroys a relationship is really okay. interesting. Okay, okay, wait. So this is going to either end the podcast or keep me arguing with you. It's a good start. When you Damn it. <laughs> Cut that out. <laughs> It is bonkers how much you say that. Um, <laughs> Put those out. When, when you say it's the greatest love story ever told, are you talking about a mutual love at the ending there, or are you talking about the love of Ronnie towards Seth? Okay, so I'm going to be very evasive on this I know. to avoid spoilers. It's hard. The end of the movie demonstrates so well the depth of their affection that in this terrible moment, They each have... Seth goes through these terrible changes and becomes monstrous, literally and figuratively. And she continues to care. And in in the end, they have clarity. And they really understand something. And they understand sacrifice and how things have changed and how there has been real loss. And watching their... How can I put this? I feel like if you could somehow do the effects on stage, like in a play, it would almost have an Edward Albee kind of feel to it of watching these people and their relationship literally and figuratively, again, disintegrate. So you'd walk out of it and want to kill yourself. (laughs) It is not a happy movie and not a happy ending. Okay, so... But I do think there's a wonderful love story there. And a lot of it is based in 
Now here's a little bit of a cheat, and you do not have to agree with this at all. I'm not even gonna try to convince you. I know I don't have to. But I'm gonna give you my side of it. I think a lot of the love story establishment is in the charm of the actors themselves. I think that when Gina Davis and Jeff Goldblum look at each other, in part because they're lovers in real life, and in part because they're wonderful actors, you do get a real connection between them. Oh yeah, they were America's sweetheart couple for a while But that's, there. that's like, why everybody loves works. to watch I'm not them. saying that the script wrote a great romance. I'm saying the movie presents a great romance. I think there's a difference there. When you see them together and interacting, they are clearly really amused and charmed by each other. They really find each other to be intellectual equals. They are drawn physically to each other in a real way. And so their attraction, and then watching that and watching them enact this unraveling is really wonderful. I think it's an amazing portrayal of a relationship and of watching relationships fall apart. I've been in relationships like this, where they start out intensely and then everything disintegrates into a place so awful you don't understand how you got there. I think there's something really amazing in this movie about love. And it's couched in an extraordinarily ugly, graphic, shocking horror film. And it goes, this movie goes to ugly, disgusting places. It is a gross film. I really wish the poor baboon hadn't gotten turned inside out. Oh, there's. did you watch any of the deleted scenes by any no, chance? No, God, no. Oh, monkey cat. Look up the monkey cat sequence. No! And get ready for your head to explode. Um, okay. I feel like we are waxing semantics here because... I like that phrase. That's a good one. It's a great one. Ultimately, I think we agree. Okay. I just think we're using two different versions of the word love. That's fair. I think you're talking about romantic love, and I'm not seeing... Uh, so what kind are you talking about? I I think there was the beginning of romantic love, uh-huh. and then after... like, So first it was, I'm using you because I'm going to write a book someday, and then it was like, oh, I'm spending lots of time with you, and we're connected, and, and, and a mm. relationship develops, okay? Mm-hmm. Ultimately, the part about the beginning and using doesn't really matter or impact what, sure. even though I where said it ends it, up. Even though I said it did. Um, I'm going to actually agree with something else you said. Okay. Should, do, would you want to do that now, or should I keep I'll going? I'll do it now. Okay. I messed up in telling you what I did. Because it set you up for an expectation I, that they end up in love. No, and I knew they didn't. Because if I would have said that, well, I wonder though if I would have said, there's an interesting thing here about the dissolving of a relationship and how relationships fall apart. I think that would have been better. I think that would have been better too. Because I agree with you. I think this is, I, and you're right, I have been there too. Relationship that starts super intense and you said it perfectly. It melts down oftentimes so quickly and so extraordinarily that you, like, how the fuck did we get here? Yeah. Who are you? You're not the person right. at all. You're And complete, you feel yourself is changing. You're like, what? I have no idea yes. what just occurred with us. Okay. Where it is rapey. Mm-hmm. And this is because of the monster he becomes. Right. That he tries to pass off to her the idea of having his baby to... Preserve a part of him. Preserve a part of him. That's oh. not love. That is abuse. Forcing a woman, asking a woman, and getting damn near close to forcing a woman to having your baby for your selfish ass needs. Is that... That is so rapey. Ooh, boy. Is that rapey or is that possessive? They are one and the same. 
hmm. possession of that caliber and that le- not caliber, but that level leads leads to rape. That's like leads to rapey and abusive behavior. Like that's that's why when we see um, students or whatever and they have that. So that significant other yeah. who's constantly checking in, where are you? Who are you with? Blah 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 blah. That's a big fat ass red flag that you need to get oh, away from question. that person. He becomes monstrous. He becomes his, monstrous, and I and I. That's not the part I thought you were going to identify for this. Demanding that a woman have your baby for your own selfish needs and almost imprisoning her to make that happen. That's like locked in a basement for fifteen years in Ohio kind of shit. Like that's bad. That's rapey, right? So. Because of the woman that Ronnie has presented herself to be and the choices that she has made to leave and come back and leave and come back and leave and come back, and then that happens and her decisions perhaps around that, I don't know that this is love. What I see mm-hmm. is a kind, compassionate, empathetic woman who sees a man in horrible suffering through yeah. his own creation and she does the well she feels guilt for it as well and she does the kind and empathetic thing i think that we have very different interpretations of that scene and i i don't mean to imply the i have any baby scene yes and i don't mean to imply anything about i mean she goes when to, it comes to these sexual politics i i will not pretend i have a i have less validity at certain angles just by virtue of being a straight man I just I, I have less validity in some of my opinions okay. automatically out of the gate, and I will happily concede that right away. I'm not pretending to understand it from a woman's perspective. From a character motivation point in the movie, though, as I see it, she is conflicted because if she had conceived that child with Seth, and there had been no monst- monstrosity, literally or figuratively, at that point, I think she would want to have the baby with him. I think they are really in a relationship that is special. But she's conflicted because is this a human in her or is she with a monster? And those, those how are, does that those change are, this? That's not an either or. Those are two different questions. I Even if it was still Seth DNA and not Brundlefly DNA, right. she wouldn't have wanted to raise it because she wouldn't have had, because he himself was a monster and she wouldn't right. have had a partner. And, so and it's and two I, I questions that that of gives... what's inside of me and her nightmare of the fucking larva. God, it is an intense movie. And that is Holy when smokes. I threw up some red wine in my mouth. Yeah. Um, it's the best thing to throw up in your mouth, so that's good. It's you know, it's better than other things. Um, the when she has the dream about the larva, that's tapping into her fears of what is growing inside of me. But the other question too is, I won't have a partner, right? Or there's this, or there's this monster out there who would be super possessive over, right? And there's fear there. Well, okay. So how about this? How about saying, because I, I, I really don't disagree with you on this. I'm just wondering if we could say that it is a scene of extraordinary complexity. Which scene are we talking about specifically? When he comes to the doctor's office? Yes, and his owning of her. Because the scene that yeah. I thought you Where were he, like, going to say. Where he breaks through the walls to take, to right. like, that's like dude in a fucking camo right. cap going to an abortion clinic and uh, I th- forcing I'm not his that woman. Parallel exactly, but. That's exactly what he does. He goes to the abortion clinic and knocks down the wall and takes her away. Yeah. Well, I wish I had said I don't agree 
after you'd finished that sentence. Because I, after you finished the sentence, I agree with it more. Okay. I thought you were going to talk about like. Oh, so you interrupted me, so you didn't get like a full understanding of what I was saying, and I don't then see the and, <laughs> and then formed an unformed opinion on what I had said. It's my go-to move. Okay. Um, it's a good the, start. I thought you were going to say it. I'm going to make this as non-spoilery <laughs> as possible. It's so His, hard. I know. His scheme his concept for a solution at the very end of the movie Oof, yeah that feels far more rapey to me it it's is far more about possession oh of the absolutely body. but i and, couldn't say right but so uh, again i won't go any further on it but that is the moment where i feel like it is very much about dominion and domination absolutely um and again though that for me is it's a horror movie with real ideas and i think that's awesome so let's just cut to this Three favorite things are you going to recommend to your mom? Where's my three things? Okay. I don't know. Number one was the music. Sure. Um, number two, that the science wasn't dumb. Yeah. And then the effects were spectacular. There, he got an Oscar for it. Except for when Brendel Fly was crawling on the ceiling and his clothes weren't falling upside down. That really bothered me. It's a and very then, particular thing. And then Billy Ocean started singing. I don't remember Billy Ocean in that scene. Yeah, it's walking on the ceiling. Okay. Oh, God. That hurt <laughs> me so bad. Get out of my dreams. Get into my car. Yeah, that one's better. Would you recommend it to your mother? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Totally. That was a hearty yeah. endorsement in the end. It's right up her alley. Yeah. This, I mean, the uh, science fiction double feature, mm-hmm. that's a long-standing tradition in my mother's life. Oh, okay. and And in the same way that there are things for me that are special because I shared them with her... My mom was the only one who liked scary movies in her family. So her and her mother would go to the Saturday matinees mm. and watch The Ant and The Thing and The Creature from the Black Lagoon and all that crap. And awesome. so, yeah, no, this is right up her alley. Well, we have to move on because this episode's gone so long. I, we may, I may have to break it up into two. <laughs> wow. It's a special. It's a twofer. <laughs> what is going to be next week? What is your pick for next week? Because I have to say mine. I'm just so tickled about this. Yes. Say what the theme is for next week. It was your theme and it was a great idea. Um, well, thank you. And it yeah. came because you told me about the movie you're going to say. Yeah. And then I was like, hmm. So the theme is a modern twist on mm-hmm. old monsters. Yeah. So my pick, a my girl, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And... You know, there's two camps. The film, not the show. The film, not the show. And there's two camps. They're two very different kind of Buffies. But the second one, the Sarah Michelle Gellar Buffy, who is my heart, couldn't have existed without the Chris, Christy, Christy Swanson. Christy Swanson. Yeah, she was a big deal back in the day. Um, and she is Luke fun. Luke Perry's in it? Luke Perry, David Arquette. Oh my God, Pee Wee Herman yes, in I'm maybe like one of my favorite performances ever. I love Pee Wee. Rudger Hauer. Really? Um, Donald Sutherland. Oh. It's a huge cast. It's awesome. Oh, uh, Hilary Swank. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I, I really like, I can't believe you haven't seen this. I, it's one that I'm a little embarrassed I haven't seen, actually. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it's it. It's really good. And it's a solid comedy. Like, I think the television show straight. Right. Whedon kind of changed his vision on that, right? Yes. Um, and it's a Joss Whedon joint. It's Joss Whedon created, but it's directed by a woman. And I, and I looked her up, and she actually did a bunch of stuff. But um, Oh, no, it's Kazooie. It's Fran Kazooie, who became her and her husband, I think, were the producers of the TV show. Okay. Um, but she did some other stuff, too. So, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, modern take on vampires. Sounds great. And you are giving me... So, initially, when she said this, 
Amy said she had an idea for a movie, but she couldn't remember which movie it was. There was a movie we talked about. She's like, what was it? Then she told me the theme, and initially I would, thought it would be fun to do Near Dark by Catherine Bigelow, uh, which I still think would be an awesome pairing of it. It's a, it's a southwestern modern version of a vampire film. Also a female director, which would have been really cool to do. And how do we go... I, I makes, How does Bigelow go from that to, like, Hurt Locker and Zero well, Dark Thirty and that, stuff? Well, in between that, she Yeah, did, she had a bunch of stuff in between, but... Well, most notably Point Break. Yeah. And she did Strange Days, which I think is a wildly underrated film. I think that movie is unbelievably great. Do you remember that one? Yeah. Ray Fiennes' Virtual Reality movie. I liked that movie. It's really I smart. haven't thought about it in a long time. It's worth revisiting. Wait, it's which Point Break did she do? The original. Keanu and Patrick Swayze. Huh. I don't think I knew that about her. Yeah, she's a really rad lady. I freaking love that movie. She's awesome. Um, Nick but Nolte. as much as I would have loved Nick Nolte. Not Nick Nolte. What's his name? Busey? Um, Gary Busey. Busey. Gary yeah. Busey. He's so great. They're kind of similar guys. They're I totally see that. similar. Um, well, Unfortunately, out. Near Dark is not available anywhere. No. It's out of print. Copies of it go for a bunch of money. It's not streaming anywhere. So we can't do Near Dark. Fortuitously, I said, well, <laughs> we can't do Near Dark, but you know what movie would be great? And it had to be the movie she was thinking of. I almost feel bad in a way. We'll be watching Frank Henenlotter's Frankenhooker, a trash exploitation film reusing the Frankenstein story in ways that will destroy your brain and your heart. Which, as a side note, like when it comes to the science fiction that I love, Frankenstein is absolutely one of my favorites. Oh my god. Favorite novels ever. You are. And, and this not, is gonna hurt. And not just as science fiction, but as a novel. I love it. It's a great novel. It's, I actually really love that it, book a lot. It rips my heart out every time I read it. It's a very sad book. It makes me cry. Um, a, a bit of a... So wait, is this movie like so bad it's good? No. So here's <laughs> here's the thing with... There was this kind of thing in the 80s of like trash exploitation films. It was a yeah. very like New York thing. Yeah. You'll get like the trauma movies. They're part of all this. All the trauma are delving in is so bad it's good. Frankenhooker is a good movie, but it is a trash film. So it's it's very deliberately offensive. It's very deliberately over the top. It has a really small budget and is very much, I wouldn't say an acquired taste. You can dial into its frequency pretty quickly. <laughs> but if you think you're going to watch a capital G great film, you are going to be disappointed. No. It is worth noting when it came out, its prime review, and it was at the top of the box when you went to check it out at the video store, was Bill Murray, who said, if you see one movie this year, <laughs> make it Frankenhooker. <laughs> it was his pick for best film of the year. And the video box had a button on it and a little speaker, and when you pressed the button on the video box, it said, want a date? Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I have a funny story about the movie that I'll tell you when we All talk right. about it. All right. All right. So, so there it is. There Frank it is. Hooker and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, I want to remind everybody, as I do every week, um, please uh, go to iTunes, rate and review, and subscribe. Um, I mean, subscribing is optional. It's helpful. But um, rating and reviewing is the Would biggest the thing for us. And I do want to um, mention our Anchor listeners. So Anchor is the app that we use to produce this and push to iTunes. It's a lovely app. It's wonderful and easy to use and i believe at the end of this episode you will hear a commercial from them um but we have about 35 solid anchor listeners and i would love it if you could just go to itunes and give us a rating 
Um, because you're going to help, you know, iTunes is the God we must pray to. So, um, we, we need to get up in their charts. Um, so help us out with that. Follow us on Twitter. It's at real fights and we've got a website, realdisagreement.com. You can contact us there. Um, I'd like to get some feedback. I'd like to hear some alternate haikus. I know. I'll read them out. I want to hear some stuff. We haven't we haven't gotten a ton of that just from Gail. <laughs> just from Gail. <laughs> um, and also, you know, podcasts spread by word of mouth. Every every podcast that I love, it's because my sisters or yeah. Rob's wife or somebody yeah. told me to listen to it. So tell people, turn them on to it. That'd be um, nice. I appreciate that people are Facebook messaging me and telling me that they enjoy what we're doing. Yeah. But they're not messaging me. I'd like to get some feedback. Well, wow, you're not like real nice. I'm not very likable. Yeah, I'm the bad guy. Yeah, you can I be the antihero instead? No, you're totally the bad guy in Damn this. It. But I'm like the wishy washy, I want to hug everybody person. So, yeah, people tell me they root for you against me. <laughs> That's what I have been told, except for when it comes I can't to wait hook. For Amy to yell at you. Yeah, hook is when I think you lost people from your side. I did. Stana left me. She felt it was necessary to send me an email to tell me how much she disagreed with me. Well, anyway, bring so, him over to the dark side. I'm the Kylo Ren in this. To, I'm bringing him all over to the dark side. No, I don't think you have high, that same outfit. High waisted pants. I do. That I'm are gonna make that high waisted. Super high waisted. Mine are actually higher. They're, they're nipple height. Uh, so tell your friends <laughs> about this awesome. Yeah, and bad puns and groans. And with that... Bad puns and groans is our next t-shirt. With that, (laughs) please, at this point, insert clever catchphrase. (laughs) Wait a second.